Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate you can click that join the affiliate program and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the best ever conference in keystone colorado and we will be talking more about this on future episodes but for now go check out bec20.com and that affiliate page you can earn 15 percent as an affiliate and we will see you in keystone colorado best ever listeners today's guest is being interviewed by theo hicks you know theo he's with us every friday on follow along friday you're going to get a lot of value from this conversation so with that being said let's get going hello best ever listeners and welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm your host today theo hicks and well today's friday which means it is a follow along friday where typically Joe and I will go over the lessons that we learned from the previous week's interviews, a sneak peek into what you're going to learn in the coming months. We're going to do that today, but instead of me and Joe doing it, Joe is in Aruba right now. So I hope he enjoys his downtime and vacation there. So we are joined by Danny Randazzo again as the co-host. Danny, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Theo. Glad to be back. Just excited to be here with you for this follow along Friday. Awesome. So as I mentioned, we're going to go over three lessons that I learned from interviews last week. But before we do that, I wanted Danny to just briefly give another introduction of himself. I should know who he is already, but if if you don't know who he is, Danny, do you mind just giving a rundown of your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, my name is Danny Randazzo. I am a real estate investor and entrepreneur. I've been a three-time guest on the Best Ever Show, so you can go back and listen to those episodes to kind of see my evolution and journey over the years. And I really got started one deal at a time. Today, my company controls over $225 million in multifamily deals, so we syndicate large apartment deals Today, we look for deals that are 150 units or more and greater than $30 million in purchase price. So that's what we're focused on today. I'm also the host of my own podcast, The Danny Randazzo Show, where I love to talk about money, mindset, and investing. So that's what I've been working on. And any questions, Theo, from you? Otherwise, let's get into the show. Yeah, let's just jump right in. So the three lessons that I learned, well, it's more than three lessons, obviously, as we always say, but these are just three interviews that we wanted to highlight. So the first one is from Alan Schnur. He is a syndicator. He's bought more than 2,000 units and he's managed more than 7,000 units, but he didn't syndicate your typical multifamily deal. He does triple net leases. I'd obviously heard the term triple net leases before. I didn't actually know what it meant. So he gave a really good rundown of, of what they are and then the benefits of the triple net lease. And in my opinion, it sounds too good to be true. But the one thing that he said was for multifamily, for every dollar that would come in as income, he would be spending 60 to 80 cents 
going out as an expense. So operating expenses, debt service, things like that, which 60 cents, fair enough. For triple net leases, he says that he's able to keep 90 to 95 cents on the dollar. So when he told me that, I'm like, well, why isn't every single person on the planet doing triple net leases? And, and maybe it has to do with them not knowing about it. But basically what he told me is the main difference between a triple net lease and a regular lease is the reimbursables. So insurance, taxes, the majority of the expenses are all reimbursable to you, the owner. So in multifamily, the owner pays for all that stuff. In triple net leases, the retail tenant, office tenant, the warehouse tenant pays for all that. It comes out of their pocket and he kind of went into more details on the budget and how that's sent to them. But I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that's what triple net leases were. And the other things that you can do is you can put annual rent increases in the lease because typically these are your one-year lease like it would be for a regular tenant. If you have a national tenant, and you talk about how to find national tenants, if that particular branch that's in your building goes bankrupt, whatever, you're still going to get paid because the national Starbucks is going to pay you money even if that particular Starbucks isn't doing well, something goes wrong where they can't be open. Yeah. You can also get a percentage of sales. Tenants will have to pay for property management company as well. So overall, he was saying how this is a more dependable income stream at the syndicator. And the main reason why I thought it was interesting is because he has done basically every single type of real estate investment you can think of. He's bought medical office, warehouse, shopping centers, custom homes, apartments, and he has been doing this for 20 plus years. And he was really excited about triple net leases. And he says that his best advice was he wished he would have done this earlier. So Danny, do you know about triple net leases? What are your thoughts on it? Is this too good to be true or is this truly something that can allow you to maximize the amount of money you make per dollar invested. I do know some things about triple net leases. Actually, the first deal that I ever purchased was a $1 million office building. So that was my first real estate investment. And I think back to the first best ever show that I was on, I covered that deal in detail, but he is on the right track. I don't know if 90 to 95 cents is accurate in terms of net profit, because again, you would have to pay your debt service. So I think that's a little bit off, but you definitely keep more money from a cash flow perspective with triple net leases, because yes, the tenant is paying for the insurance, the taxes, any sort of community maintenance fee, They're paying their water, utilities, all of that. And typically, if there's something that breaks down inside the unit, like the toilet stops running, the tenant is going to pay for a plumber Mm -hmm. to come out and fix it. So truly, gross income collected is almost identical to your net income. And then once you have your net income, you then pay your debt service. So I think from a cash flow perspective, triple net leases are great. However, once you have a fully occupied building, there's not much value add opportunity. So if we compare it to an apartment deal where even if you buy a 95% occupied apartment community, and let's say it's a nice B-class asset that hasn't been renovated in 15 years, well, you can go in and you can add value to it. And instead of increasing the rent by 3% annually, which Mm -hmm. is typically a triple net lease annual increase, you can increase rent by maybe 20, 30, 40% 
if you're taking an apartment rent from a thousand bucks a month and you renovate it and now you're renting it for 1200 well that's a 20% rent increase and that's a huge equity forced appreciation that you can have so i definitely like a triple net lease from a cash flow play mm-hmm. it's a good place like you said to put your money in and have a national tenant backing it and paying the bills if i can put a hundred grand to work and know that Starbucks is going to pay me for the next 10 years. I feel pretty good about that. If I put a hundred grand to work in a small office building where you might have an insurance broker and attorney renting from you, that to me isn't as secure. So I think you just have to weigh the pros and cons of what type of triple net lease you have what the tenant quality is and who's really backing that to understand what type of return you're going to get. What are you comfortable with? And I always tie an investment back to what is the real goal here? So Mm -hmm. buying a triple net lease to generate monthly income, that is a fantastic goal. Buying a triple net lease to force appreciation, not a good goal you would want to buy an apartment community where you can force appreciation and create equity. So absolutely triple net lease, you can retain a lot of gross income as net income and cash flow every single month. And that's really the primary purpose of having those investments. Yeah, I think, first of all, the point about the value add is definitely huge. I'm remembering now why he said 90, 95% on the dollar and why we're going to bring him back on the podcast. Because once we got off, because again, we can only do these for 30 minutes. Once we got off, he was going on and on and on about all these different things that he did that were very unique that allowed him to bring in an extra 20, 30, 40 grand per month in rent, which would obviously increase the value. One of the examples was he did something with the parking lot, like built some structure on there, and then someone rented it out for 40 grand a month, something like that. He said he has a bunch of other examples of that. So we're definitely going to bring him back on the podcast because he started getting into the value add stuff at the end. We just didn't have time to talk about it. But in general, as you said, for triple net leases, most of the time it's just income coming in, which as you mentioned, not able to force appreciation unless you're doing something really unique like Alan. Yeah. And I think some of those unique opportunities, like if you own a building, sometimes you can put a weather antenna up or you could put a cell tower up if you have the right zoning. You mm. could put a billboard up. From a parking lot perspective, I've seen people put in ATM machines, like the little standalone structure. Those can rent for some serious money. And that definitely improves the bottom line. It definitely forces appreciation and improves cash flow. I've also seen ice machines or sometimes. In some cities, they have these new Starbucks that are built out of old shipping containers. (laughs) And so you're able to put that into three parking spaces, and that can bring in some serious rent. Oh, yeah, I bet. You can definitely be creative if you have enough land, the right zoning, and, of course, the demand from a tenant who needs an ATM machine or a cell tower or whatever that is. I guess I learned even more about triple net leases from you, Danny. Appreciate that. All right. So the second interview that I did was with John Bogdasarian. Basically what he does is he has a firm that helps passive investors find deals to invest in. 
So he works for a real estate firm that works with 300 passive investors. So we talked about really all things passive investors. So we talked about investing from the perspective of the passive investor. And he just said, uh, there's a few things that he said that I hadn't heard before. I thought they were interesting and unique. And again, this is coming from the perspective of a passive investor. So the first one I obviously heard before was, as a passive investor, when you are looking at deals, I asked him, how should a passive investor analyze a deal? And he said that the most intelligent investors, when they're asking questions, will not ask questions about the actual specific deal. They won't focus on that. Instead, they'll focus on asking questions about the actual sponsor, the actual people responsible for the deal. So what does that mean to people who are syndicators? Well, you need to make sure that obviously you're giving ample information about the deal that you're trying to raise money for, but also make sure that you can answer questions about why they should be investing with you, what your background, expertise, experience, who's on your team that makes you the right person to invest with to grow and preserve their capital. So that was something new, obviously, but I did ask him some questions on how to find sponsors. And he has some very unique responses. So one of them was, when you're in a hot market, he said, look for cranes in the air. For context, he helps people invest in development deals too. So find cranes in the air, drive to those cranes. Typically when there's development going on, there'll be some sort of banner with the person's name on it. So reach out to that name, a developer, and see if you can get involved in either this particular deal or some other deal they're doing in the future, or at least figure out who is the party responsible for it. Another one was, <laughs> he said, you go to your doctor's office or talking with your lawyer or someone who's a high net worth individual who, who has the potential of investing in these types of opportunities and has asked them after they've done your checkup what they're investing in and see if they're investing in apartments, some other passive investment source. And then there's some other ones he said, you know, Google searches, obviously, read news articles or local real estate publications. So typically there's going to be some sort of business inquire type publication for your particular market. And you can see who's doing new development, who bought a new large multifamily building, things like that. Find out who they are, look them up on their website, reach out to them. And then with word of mouth, he said back in the day, there wasn't the internet. So there were country club deals. So kind of the same thing, go to places where there's high net worth individuals and then ask them what they're investing in. Obviously don't go to some athletic club and walk up to every single person and say, Hey, what are you invested in? be smart about it. How are you putting your money to work for you? Yeah, (laughs) seriously. (laughs) Talk to them first, get to know them first, and then you'll transition to that. My excitement is through the roof right now because I have the best ever approach to finding a sponsor. And I hope you're ready for this, Theo. As a sponsor myself, I had this happen to me the other day. Someone called me and they said, hey, I have been looking at all of the SEC filings for private placement memorandums, specifically real estate syndication deals in this specific market. And I saw you just recently closed a deal and I wanted to connect with you to see Mm. what you're about and build a relationship to possibly invest in future deals. So doing that, number one, You always want to make sure that the sponsor is following the law, abiding by SEC regulations. And so when they close a deal, they have to file their offering with the SEC. And again, that's public information. So best ever listeners, this is an excellent approach to see who is syndicating deals in the markets that you want. All of those filings can be found. 
You just need to hunt for them. So this guy was actively seeking out syndicators and then calling people to build that relationship. So I think that's another phenomenal approach. If you are truly interested in buying in a specific market or anywhere around the country, you can see those offerings. You can read through the details of it. And then of course, go to the folks website, look them up, build that relationship, know, like, and trust them, which I would highlight as the point to qualifying as a passive investor myself personally. I invest in Ashcroft deals with Joe as a passive investor and It takes time to build that relationship to know, like, and trust someone. So once you do that and you qualify them, I think investing in the next deal and the next deal and the next deal makes it that much easier. So again, do your research, use your personal network, use your extended network, do the Google searches. I guess if you want to look for development opportunities, look for the cranes, call the company that's sponsored on the fence out front. And use the SEC website to find the filings and then reach out to those syndicators. Thanks for providing that. I heard that SEC filing one before. It might have been you, actually. I can't remember who it was. I think it was a syndicator saying that make sure you're registering on the SEC site so people can find your deals. But on the no like, and trust, something else that John said about looking for sponsors is that he always recommends to his past investors to avoid the investor portals because... He said that it's very difficult to gauge if you can trust them by simply finding them and then logging in their portal and just sending their money. So he kind of talked about that a lot. I've seen the portals before, but I don't know of any investors who just strictly 506C, have people just come through the portal, never talk to them, things like that. But obviously, if that does exist, then yeah, it'd be very difficult to know them, to like them and to trust them if you're never talking to them. So that's something else that he ended with. Yeah, I would just put that disclaimer out there that if you are going to invest your own money, you are responsible for it. You need to talk to the main sponsor or you need to meet them in person, period, before you ever send your money. And if you can't do one of those two things, then I would just say don't invest because that doesn't make sense to me personally. Mm -hmm. I just gut wouldn't allow me to do that without speaking to them or meeting them in person. Again, it's a huge investment. You're putting your money to work and you need to know, like, and trust. And if Mm -hmm. any one of those three is off or feels weird, don't do it. Exactly. All right, so last lesson, it'll be a quick one. So Iken Fletcher, he's a CEO of a company called Nest Egg, which it sounded so familiar when I started interviewing him, but it's a property management and maintenance online platform. He actually used to be the CTO and VP of product at Expedia, which is interesting. So he has a lot of experience of growing companies, startups, venture capital, things like that. So we're definitely going to get him on the podcast again, because I wanted to talk to him more about Nestegg just because it's kind of a startup company. It's only in a few locations. And I wanted to know what's the approach of scaling that nationally, because that could be very helpful to syndicators or real estate investors who are investing in one location and want to eventually grow a business that can help them invest all over the country. But he gave three-step process for how he started the company from a strategic standpoint that I thought would be interesting to anyone who obviously wants to do some sort of startup that provides a service to real estate investors, but also you could apply this to your real estate business as well. So the first step when he started the company was to gain insights on the space and the customer. So he did a lot of market research to basically figure out what's missing and what's hard about property management. 
And if you wanted to learn about what he determined, you can check out that interview, which will probably be releasing a little bit. But basically, he asked himself, what are people who are starting out two to three years into being a landlord with less than 10 properties, what do they need help with? The second one was to find competitors who are also providing solutions and services to those customers to figure out why people aren't happy with their solutions. And then the third one is based off of all that research and why people aren't happy. You want to determine what features your company is going to have in order to make sure people are happy to fill that need. And I guess I'll say what he did. So basically the things that he did for his company was one, the maintenance. So rather than having the owners have to do the maintenance themselves or rather than the property management company kind of just taking care of it and sending them a bill at the end, he has a, an online portal that they could submit their maintenance request to and then They'll take care of everything and there's a lot of pictures and back and forth and you can monitor the repairs, make sure that they're actually fixed and then they'll actually monitor the repairs on an ongoing basis. So they partner with a lot of contractors so you don't have to do that yourself. The second one was a cash flow issue. So people are starting out need their money and I know an issue that I had was getting cash flow like a month later from the previous month or two months later. Whereas they'll pay you the rent they collect on October 1st, you get paid October 1st, even if they don't have that money right away. So you get paid a month earlier than you usually do. And then the other one was about the maintenance issues rather than paying last month's maintenance costs all coming out of the rent for the next month. They'll spread it out over a 12-month period instead. There's a couple other things that they have as well, but the main point was his process for creating the company, which is gaining insights, find the competitors, and then determine what features you're going to create for your company. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think that is very interesting. It always comes back to the why and the need, and you just need to solve for those things. So it sounds like a very interesting approach. And I'll be curious to listen to that next episode of how the implementation is going so far and what their value add approach is to help owners, operators, management companies improve that maintenance issue. Because as we know, in the apartment ownership world, your largest expense typically is payroll, which includes your on-site maintenance staff salary. So if there's a way that Nesteg is able to change the approach to maintenance costs, it could be extremely beneficial to owners, operators, and managers to impact and improve their NOI if there's a new way to handle maintenance requests and decreasing expenses. Exactly. So those are the three interviews. Again, those will probably be airing in the January to February timeframe. So you got a sneak peek of what will be talked about in those episodes. Just to wrap things up, trivia questions. So we do a trivia question each week. First person to get the trivia question correct gets a free copy of our book. We're doing a loyalty trivia question this month. All the trivia questions are things that we talked about in the blog, the following Friday, the podcast, the book. Last week's question was of the two main occupancy metrics, which one's more relevant to you when you're investing in apartments? So the two main occupancy metrics are physical and economic occupancy. Physical is just the rate of people who are in your apartment. So if you have 100 units and 90 are occupied, then the physical occupancy is 90%. But let's say that of those 90 people, only 80 are paying rent and 10 aren't for some reason then your economic occupancy is actually 80%. So the answer is economic occupancy because if I'm buying an apartment and they tell me, oh, Theo, the occupancy is 100%. It's like, oh, well, is that physical or economic? 
They go, well, it's physically occupied 100%. It's like, oh, what's the economic occupancy? Oh, well, some people aren't paying rent and there's bad debt and there's this and that. So essentially 80%. That's a huge difference in income. That's a huge difference in NOI. So that's a huge difference in value of the property. Joe's talked about this on first deal as well. So if you go to joefarrells.com and you search economic occupancy, you'll find some blog posts going into more detail on that. This week's question is, what is the main difference between the cash on cash return metric and the internal rate of return metric? I guess it could be a one word answer or a three word answer, depending on how you answer it. But what is the main difference between the cash on cash return metric and the internal rate of return metric for apartments? But technically you could use that for really anything. So again, you can submit that to info at joefairless.com or you can comment on the YouTube video. And again, the first person that gets that correctly will get a free copy of our book. So Danny, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. I really enjoy doing follow on Friday with you because you always have a lot of value to add. A lot of things to say that I haven't thought of before or I don't know about. So really appreciate you coming on. Where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Theo, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. If any of the best ever listeners need to get in touch with me, just go to dannyrandazzo.com. Perfect. Well, again, Danny, appreciate it. Best of your listeners, thanks for tuning in. Have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net.